What a powerful name it is. Amen. Hallelujah to God and the reason we celebrate today. Amen. What an awesome reason. How many of you are a little uncomfortable sitting this close to each other? Just be honest. We all are, right? I get to be all up here. Maybe I'll trade you places today. Who wants to come and preach my message today? Well, I want to say Happy Easter. How many got up early today? I got up real early. I've already preached once before. Not the same message, but pretty close. I cut it in half for the morning uh, Easter service over at the Methodist Church. But I'm so glad to see all your wonderful smiling faces, and don't get used to this, okay? <laughs> I'm wearing it today. Next week, tie comes off, jacket comes off, and I'm back to comfortable. Amen? But I'm so glad that you're here. I am so blessed and honored. We are so blessed and honored that you chose to celebrate Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate the greatest happening in the entire world, in the entire history of mankind, the resurrection of God's Son. The resurrection of God's Son and our Savior and Lord, our Jesus Christ. So if you're a visitor and you've got kids across the street, you could put your mind at ease. We've got a great children's program across the street. I think part of that program is to stuff them full of those sugary uh, peeps, marshmallow peeps. Get them on a wild sugar rush so you can take them home. Amen? You're welcome. I'm really kidding, but they're going to have a good time. But today being Easter, we're going to look at the last two things that Jesus said while hanging, dying on the cross. And if you haven't been here before, for the last seven weeks, we've been in a sermon series where we've been looking at the last seven statements that Jesus made while dying on the cross. And we all know that the words that a dying person says on their deathbed are sometimes the most important words that they've ever said. So we tend to lean in and pay attention. My prayer for every one of us in this room today is that we'll lean in and pay attention to what God has to speak into our lives. And if you have your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 19. If you don't, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen. It's okay. John 19 verse 28 is where I want to start this morning. It says, Later knowing that everything had now been finished... And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, and here's the phrase we're going to look at and focus at on today, it is finished. Can you say that with me? It is finished. Let's say it again. It is finished. A pretty small statement, but a pretty powerful statement. There's nothing more satisfying, I would say, in life than completing a difficult task. How many find it satisfying when you complete something you never, ever maybe thought you could even do? I used to have a fairly successful uh, construction company years ago. Um, we did remodeling. We did repairs. We even would build some houses and some businesses. Some of the biggest homes we were able to build were like 4,000 to 6,000 square feet. That's a lot of house, especially when you're a small crew. Um, when doing a home and acting as a subcontractor, there's a lot to it. There are a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Not only do you have to go over the blueprints, sometimes I had to make up the blueprints, uh, had to uh, organize the whole project, make material list out, order material list, meet with subcontractors, get estimates from subcontractors, schedule delivery, schedule subcontractors coming in, and then we had to build the house. The framing, the roofing, siding, windows, doors, electrical plumbing, getting home permits down to every last minute detail. All in all, usually it would take about three months to build that house if everything went well. 
And in between, when the subcontractors were in there and we needed to get out of their way, I would try to find smaller jobs, room additions, uh, remodels, uh, repairs, anything I could find to keep uh, the guys busy. But to say the least, no matter how much I planned, no matter how much I planned on things working out the way they should work out, a lot of times they didn't. It was hectic and crazy, and a lot of times it was flat-out overwhelming. But there was a feeling that I got when I got down to the trim phase of the project. That's the last phase of a house-building project. There was this feeling of completion. I would always have a checklist about that time in the project, and it was satisfying to be able to check one by one those items off of my list, put my tools away one by one back into the trailer or the truck, and I would remember being able to stand back and take a look, last look at that house and think of the first day we showed up there, it was just an empty lot. But to stand back and see a fully completed house was satisfying. To be able to say it's finished, to be able to say I'm finished, there's just something satisfying about completing any type of project. I think marathon runners, when they complete a marathon, probably have that same feeling of satisfaction. And I'm only assuming. Amen? <laughs> I don't know. You might talk to Rebecca. She knows about that. Maybe you're one of those that loves to make those extensive to-do lists, and you love checking off each item as you finish them up. There's just something satisfying when you can get something accomplished and step back and say, it is finished. Well, in our text today, we're looking at three words, it is finished, in the English language. But, there's, but it's only one word in the Greek, and that word is tetelestai. It means to be finished. It means to be completed. It means to be fulfilled. It means to be perfected. As we get started today, I want to look at what just happened in our a section of Scripture we just read. We talked a little bit about this last week. Jesus was offered something to drink twice uh, on that day we call Good Friday. Before he was nailed to the cross by those soldiers, they offered him a mixture of wine and myrrh. We talked about last week how historically it was the Jewish women that made up this concoction to give those guys that were being crucified to numb and dull their pain to help them get through the crucifixion. I said last week, and this would have been true for most of us, most, would have, most of us would have said, hey, I'll take one and keep them coming. Amen? We probably would have. Jesus didn't do that. He said no. He refused it because he knew what he was about to face. He knew what task he was about to take on. He didn't want to be numb to the pain. He did not want to be unconscious. He wanted to be all in and he wanted to be all there while he paid for our sins. I think maybe, just maybe, he also wanted us to understand that we have a Savior that knows real pain, that knows what it's like to go through the pain that we suffer in life on a daily basis. So after Jesus had been hanging on that cross for about six hours, he said the fifth statement we looked at last week, I am thirsty. Then it says a bystander came by, took a sponge, soaked it in wine vinegar, put a sponge on a stick, lifted it up to Jesus' lips. This time Jesus accepted that drink. I don't know if it's all to do with the thirst, but he accepted it to fulfill prophecy, Old Testament prophecy that had been spoken over him hundreds of years before in the book of Psalms, Psalm 69, verse 21, where it says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst, even though that was written hundreds of years earlier. It was prophesying and predicting the future sufferings of the future Messiah, Jesus. So in his last seconds of his life, the Bible says this about Jesus. When he had received the drink, again, the same drink they, that had been predicted hundred years, hundreds of years earlier, Jesus said, it is finished. 
it is finished. You know, when we hear that statement or we read that statement, it can paint a pretty gloomy picture. And I'm sure the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the gospel, were probably thinking, yeah, we got him now. Yeah, it's over. Jesus is giving up. Jesus is throwing in the towel. Jesus says, I can't do anymore. I give up. It's over. That's when we need to stop and realize he wasn't saying, I am finished. He was saying, it is finished. Amen? A big difference. Those words weren't at all words of distress. They were words of triumph. They weren't words of defeat or depression. Jesus wasn't saying, I am finished. It's over with. I have failed. And they weren't words of relief either. Jesus wasn't saying, oh man, am I glad this is finished. No, this statement was absolutely the greatest statement of triumph that has ever been declared. Jesus was saying, there is nothing more I need to do. I've done it all. I've accomplished my mission, and I have won. Amen? That was what Jesus declared. Yeah, you can clap. But bottom line, these were words of a conqueror. These were words of a conqueror declaring victory, claiming victory. Today we're going to look at what he meant when he said, it is finished. We might start by asking the question, what's the it, right? What's he talking about? Well, the first thing I see that it meant, if you're taking notes this morning, I believe it meant that Jesus finished his task. He didn't just get partway, he finished his task. Jesus had done all that he was asked to do by the Father. Jesus has, had done all that he set out to do and accomplished. And he had completed in his brief 33 years of life everything that God had chosen him to do, committed him to do. But let me say, with that said, how many of us have a very difficult time Finishing something we start. You ever have a uh, time when you started something that you couldn't quite finish? How many of you have some uh, emails in your inbox that you haven't answered yet? It's still full. You still, I'm going to get around to it one of these days. How many of you guys sometimes have taken on a car repair project and that car's still up on the blocks in your garage years later? Amen? Or if you're from Kentucky or Hugo, the engine's still hanging out in your tree. I'm just saying. How many of you have ever started a home improvement project where you started something and you just didn't get back to it? Don't feel bad me being a home builder at one time. I did that all the time, especially on my own home. Cheryl and I lived in this one house that we built and had lived in for many, many years. I didn't finish the trim up until the week right before we sold the house. Amen. <laughs> I built and completed house for a lot of other, houses for a lot of other people, but my own house I didn't even finish. Well, the truth is, I think all of us are guilty of that on some level because we have a tendency to start something that a lot of times we don't finish, to put it off, to procrastinate. Has anyone ever been to Mount Rushmore? Anybody ever seen that great monument out in South Dakota? I went out there on a family vacation when I was about 12 years old, and it was amazing. I can, I'll never forget driving up that hill and through the pine trees, all of a sudden I see this huge face of George Washington in stone. It was amazing. Well, not too long ago, I was watching a, uh, a show on Discovery Channel, or it might have been the History Channel, but they were talking about Mount Rushmore. They were talking about the sculpture that designed it and created it. They said it was actually an unfinished project. They said this sculptor actually intended to carve those presidents' bodies down to uh, below, the, uh, below the chest line, but he died before the sculpture got it finished. You know, people, hundreds of thousands of people visit that monument every year and don't realize they're looking at an unfinished piece of art, an unfinished work of art. Michelangelo, known as one of the greatest artists and painters of all time, would often take a project, begin a painting, and then 
chuck it. He would abandon it out of a fit of rage because things weren't going right. And amazingly, I found out that he left a whole lot more unfinished works than he did finished and completed works of art. What I'm saying is, you and I, we don't have any problem starting things. The difficult part comes in finishing things. We don't have problems initiating something, but sticking to it is another question. That's where the real accomplishment comes in. Think about this. The Illinois Marathon does not give out t-shirts that say, I, you started the Illinois Marathon. Amen? It doesn't do that. And you don't get a high school diploma the day you start first grade. What I'm saying is not hard to start something. The challenge is actually sticking to it, seeing it through to completion. What I'm saying is victory doesn't come from starting. Victory comes from finishing, from finishing and completing. And with that said, when it comes to Jesus and what he did on the cross, it wasn't Jesus coming into this world that paid the debt for our sins. It wasn't even all the miracles that he did day after day that are recorded in our scriptures. It was him going all the way to the cross. It was him fulfilling every prophecy along the way that had been spoken about him for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, one after another. It was taking on every bit of spiritual and physical pain that he endured, going all the way to the cross and dying on that cross for our sins. That made his task totally complete. So with that said, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus was driven. Something inside of him was driving him to finish the Father's work. Listen in John 4.34 what it says. My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We all know in the natural you have to have food to work, right? You have to have food to keep up the strength to be able to do the work. So I think Jesus is actually saying, I'm strengthened to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has given me to do. He receives strength by obeying God and following God and doing what God has told him to do, had told him to do. My source of energy, he's saying, is doing God's will. And that source of energy comes from doing God's will. You see how that works? If you're doing something for God, He's going to give you the strength that you need to do it. Jesus was absolutely driven to fulfill the Father's work. He wasn't necessarily just driven to start it. He was driven to finish it. So the question I think ought to be in every one of our hearts this morning, are we driven? Are we driven to finish and accomplish the work that God has called us to do? Sometimes, unfortunately, I think we lack the determination that Christ had to finish the task. Sometimes we start strong. Sometimes we have the greatest motives and we're realizing that God has called us to do this, but along the way we lose focus. Along the way we drop the ball and everything goes by the wayside. And the sad part is, I'll just say all of us do that probably on a daily basis, time after time. We start a project we feel like God wants us to do. We get in the middle of that project and all of a sudden something happens. We get discouraged. We give up. We quit. God's will for us is definitely to do His will. That's the bottom line. He wants us to do His will. You remember the words that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when He prayed to the Father? He was going through a great deal of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? When He was sweating great drops of blood? In Luke 22, verse 42, He says, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Yours be done. Jesus' his whole will was to do the Father's will. No matter how high the cost, no matter how steep the climb, no matter how painful and hurtful or the sacrifice might be, the one thing that mattered to Jesus the most, and I believe the one thing that ought to matter to us the most, is to finish the will of God. 
to do whatever God has called us to do in our lives. So what about you this morning? I believe God is going to give spiritual assignments to every one of us to complete spiritual tasks so that his plans and his purposes can be carried out, can be worked out. And God could not have given us a greater example of somebody sticking to something than his son Jesus hanging on the cross, dying on the cross, going to the grave. But he didn't stop there. God also completed it with a scripture that makes a promise to us that whatever he begins, whatever he begins in our hearts, he's going to fulfill. He's going to see it through to completion. Paul wrote about this in Philippians 1.6. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. How many times do we go through a day and we feel inadequate? We feel unable to do something? We feel uh, totally incompetent to be able to do what uh, God has called us to do? Sometimes we feel like a flat-out failure. Whenever you feel that way, look back to that Scripture and say that whatever God started in me, He'll give me the strength to finish. He'll give me the resources to finish. He'll be, give me the guidance, the wisdom, direction that I need to, to uh, finish whatever God starts in me. I'm not saying what you start in you that's not according to the will of God. In my life, I'm thankful those things didn't work out. But I am saying whatever God starts in your life, that's the purpose that He wants to see fulfilled, and that'll be for a good purpose, right? The second thing that he said when he said it is finished is that the price has been paid. The sad thing, so many people think that in order to get to heaven, they have to do this, or they have to do that to be saved. They have to go to church enough. They have to live good enough. They have to be good enough. They have to wear certain kinds of clothes, cut their hair a certain way, listen to a certain kind of music, not listen to other kinds of music. Well, I'd say if that's you, you're spelling Christianity as D-O, as in do. Do you realize in the Old Testament when all those rules came to be, there was no way those rules were created for you and I to be able to keep those rules. It's impossible for the most holy person in the world to keep all of those rules because those were a list of rules of things we're supposed to do, things we're not supposed to do. And guess what? It became a law of restriction. But the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ has, all, has made it all about the resurrection and not about restriction. Amen. Because we are saved by what Jesus has done. So instead of uh, spelling your Christianity walk as D-O, you ought to be spelling it D-O-N-E as what Christ has done on the cross for you and for me. Oh, there's nothing wrong with a full-out commitment of obedience to God. God wants that. But let me just say, you can never do enough to earn God's love. You can never do enough to earn God's salvation. The sad part is there's a whole lot of Christians out there that are making sure they're doing their to-do list because they think the harder they work, the closer they're going to get to God. Let me say, He wants us to be close to Him, but it's not about the good works we do. Those are great. But it's about giving your whole for God, giving your heart for God, giving Him everything you have because of what Jesus has D-O-N-E on the cross because He gave everything He could give for you and me. Everything, down to the shed blood on the cross, He gave it all. So there's nothing wrong with obedience, but you can't earn your way to God. There's no way to earn your way to God. I think those people real, can't get a grasp on the fact that they don't deserve it now, they never will. We will never, ever deserve it. They think, if I do a little bit more, I'll find a little bit more of God's favor. How about doing what we do because we love God? Amen? Not because we're trying to pay the bill. Not because we're trying to earn our way to God. Because you're never, ever going to earn your way to God. You're never, ever going to pay that bill back. It's time to just accept it and thank God that it is finished for us. Amen? Thank God that He has done all that He did.
because of his love for you and me. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why the Hebrew people of old, in biblical days, sacrificed animals all the time. There must have been a lot of blood in those days. Amen? As a way of admitting to their sin, also atoning for their sin. But even back then, they knew what Hebrews 9.22 says. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. So I believe when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying to the Father, Father, that sin debt that's been owed to you by this whole world, it's been paid off in full. Every sin that has been committed by every person that lived, is living, and will live tomorrow has been paid in full. I don't know if you know anything about the Old Testament tabernacle, but it was pretty amazing. God gave them specific instructions on how to build it, how to design it, gave them blueprints, specifications, size, measurements, even told them what material to use, even told them what furniture to put into it. There was an altar, there was the Ark of the Covenant, there was a mercy seat of God, there was a golden lampstand, there was a table of showbread. But one thing that wasn't in that tabernacle was a chair for the priest. And you know why there wasn't a chair for the priest? It's because he never had time to sit down. He never, ever had time to sit down. There was always another sacrifice to make. There was always more blood to shed. There was always someone else that needed forgiveness of their sins. So there was not a chair for the priest to sit down. But things changed in Hebrew chapter 10 through 12, or 10 through 14, when Jesus came along. Listen to what it says. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, he's talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he sat down. He sat down because it was finished. It was totally completed and finished. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he was not only the Lamb of God, he was the high priest of God. And in that holy moment of being high priest, Jesus sacrificed his own blood, gave his own life to re permanently remove the sin from the world. We no longer have to make animal sacrifices because on that Good Friday, Jesus paid the price in full in his own precious blood. I said we're going to cover two things today. The last thing is right after the words he said, it is finished. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice. What kind of voice? A loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When I look at that, there are two things that stand out to me. The first is this was no whisper. This was no whimper. He called out with a loud voice because I believe he wanted everyone to know without a shadow of a doubt that no one was snatching his life from him. He was laying it down. He was giving it up. No one was taking his life from him. He was intentionally turning it over to the Father. Verse 17 says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my own life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. The second thing is trust. Even during that time where Jesus went through a separation, which hurt him more than the physical pain, he went through a separation from, between him and God during those dark hours on the cross. Even through it all, he knew that the Father still loved him. He knew that the Father was still going to receive His Spirit. So Jesus stayed faithful to the end. He didn't waver. 
He didn't doubt. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He trusted God. And I want you to notice something else. Only because I mentioned it a few weeks ago. When he was going through that period of separation and period of darkness, remember, remember that? He didn't call God Father anymore. He called Him God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. The debt had been paid in full. And I truly believe at that moment, him and the Father were reconciled. They were restored to fellowship. And in that fellowship, Jesus released his spirit into the Father's hands. He trusted the Father's hands. And I believe Jesus is showing us that you and I can trust those same hands because the hands of God are the most trustworthy hands. Jesus was willing to put his life in the hands of his Father because they, there were no better hands to put your life into than his Father's. He totally and completed, completely trusted his Father. He endured those sufferings on the cross. That wouldn't have been a little task. He endured the terrible darkness being forsaken by God and through it all, he stayed, stay he stayed steadfast. He continued on his mission and continued trusting in God. But I know when I think of the cross, I think of the pierced hands of Christ, don't you? I mean, my, hand, my mind goes right there. But in this, in this text, Jesus is actually focusing on the Father's hands. You know, we relied on the... Uh, wounded hands of Jesus, but he was relying on the hands of the Father. Think about it. When Jesus was in the hands of those men for those 18 hours, what did they do with their hands? With their hands, they arrested him. With their hands, they stripped him. They whipped him. They beat him until flesh fell from his bones. They plucked out his beard hair by hair, piece by piece. With their hands, they slapped him. They punched him. They flogged him until he was unrecognizable as a man. And with their hands, they jammed that crown of thorns down on his head. They put a robe of mockery around him. And with their hands, they nailed him to the cross. You know, those wicked hands tried to do everything they could to destroy Jesus. They tried to do everything they could to destroy and defeat Jesus. But the whole time, I know without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knew whose hands he was still in. The hands of the Father. He knows he's returning to the tender hands of his Father. So he says this last thing that we're talking about. Father, into your hands, I commit or I commend my spirit. Jesus died fully trusting in what God had already said. Jesus died fully trusting in what God was doing. And because of that, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus lives. Amen. Jesus is alive. He's alive today and forever. Jesus knew the promises of his father and he trusted him with all of his heart. As Christians, sometimes we fail, right? We're only human. We fail. We're called believers, but sometimes I think we ought to be called unbelieving believers. Because so many times we put our trust in everything else but God. We put our trust in our friends. We put our trust in our bank accounts, our jobs, our careers, our stock markets, the government, our gifts, talents, and abilities, our own strength, instead of trusting in God and trusting in His Word. So let me ask you today, what's troubling you today? What's burdening your spirit? Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's fear of not being good enough. Maybe it's fear of losing someone that you love. How about doing what Jesus did? Place it all in the Father's hands. If you place it in the Father's hands, you're going to find His peace. You're going to find His comfort. You're going to find His provision. You're going to find His strength. He's already won. Do you realize that? And nothing, not even death, could conquer Him. But this morning, do you know those hands? that I'm talking about, and if you don't, you can before you leave here today. And are you trusting in those hands? If you don't, you can before you leave here today. I'm so thankful that I get to trust in the hands of the Father. I get to trust in those mighty hands that created all that's been created. 
I love to watch the Olympic Games. I don't know about you, but every few years when they're on, I try to sit down when I can. But I read about a certain athletic event and this athletic victory that was amazing, and you have to go way back to get it. 564 B.C., as a matter of fact, there was a man named Arhitian. He was competing for his third consecutive championship in an event that combined wrestling and boxing together. And during the match, his opponent got him in this suffocating stranglehold. And in a desperate attempt to escape, he dislocated the ankle of his opponent. And his opponent was in such pain that he let go of that stranglehold and he held up his hand conceding the match. But at that exact same moment, Arhitian died of asphyxiation. He died. The judges ruled that Arhitian was the winner and he became the only Olympic athlete in history who's ever won the victory by dying. With that said, 2,000 years ago, sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Death got Jesus in a stranglehold. Sin and death, I believe, looked at Jesus and says, You are finished. But that first Easter morning, Jesus took the sting out of death. Jesus took the power out of the grave. You know, when a bee stings you, it leaves its stinger in your body and its power is gone, its poison is gone, where our enemies a whole lot like that. He buzzes around a lot, but his poison has gone. Death has left its venom at the cross. And I believe today the resurrection is our receipt showing us that no matter what we face, we can overcome because He overcame. We can overcome because He went all the way to the cross and He paid the ultimate price. So on this Easter, I want you to remember, yeah, it says an angel rolled away the stone, but in the bigger picture, Christ rolled away His own stone. No longer do we have to be separated from God. No longer do we have to live with the shame of our past. No longer do we have to let evil get the last laugh. You know, our sins can be forgiven today, not because you're so good or I'm so good, because he's so good. We can be set free, not because we're so strong, but because he's so strong. We can feel his presence, not because we deserve it or ever will, but because he's that good. Amen? This morning, you might be sitting here and thinking of your life and thinking, I've done way too much wrong. I've lived way too hard, way too fast. God can't forgive me. Let me just flat out say that's a lie of the enemy. If you're still alive, God's not finished. The old saying I say quite a bit is if you're not dead, God's not done. Amen? He's in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Today we celebrate that the tomb is empty because he's not there. That means that nothing we face or ever will face can beat us when we're in Christ because he has beat it. It is finished. He has overcome. I believe Jesus looked at death, hell, and the grave and said, I'm not finished. You're finished. Because it is finished. Amen? Could you stand to your feet this morning? My prayer is that you'll get this message this morning and apply it to your heart, apply it to your life. And let God draw you closer to His heart. And let Him infuse you with His resurrection power. Could you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father God, we thank you for our salvation above everything else. We thank you that you made that salvation possible through what our Lord and Savior and your Son did on the cross, through all that he went through on that cross. Lord, we thank you for the empty tomb today, for our risen Savior that gives us strength to overcome anything that we will ever face because you overcame. Lord, I thank you for paying our price and the debt of our sin in full by your sacrifice on that cross 
And Lord God, may today our hearts grow closer to you and may our lives be totally surrendered to you today and forever for your praise, glory, and honor. If you believe that, say amen. Amen and happy Easter. God bless you all.